This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Becky Harling to discuss the Lord's Prayer, which is the topic of her six-week Bible study, Our Father. What is your experience with the Lord's Prayer? Is it a prayer you can recite from memory, but it has little meaning? Do you pray it regularly, verse by verse, slowly thinking about what you're praying? Or do you know it is how Jesus taught us to pray, but it makes little sense to you? No matter where you fall on this spectrum, I believe after listening to today's conversation, your heart and mind will be delighted to dig deep into the Lord's Prayer. If as you're listening, someone comes to mind that you think would enjoy our conversation, will you press pause and send the link to them? I know I have benefited greatly from a friend who has texted me a podcast link. I have also discovered some of my favorite shows through links friends have shared on social media. So if you enjoy today's conversation, please share it. Good morning, Becky, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Good morning. It's so fun to be here with you, Amber. It's nice to connect with someone who we have some mutual friends, but we haven't connected personally. And I think the Christian Communicators Collective that was in South Carolina, you were, were you going to come? No, I was, you were there. I was there. Yeah, I okay. was one of the leaders of that. And so you were there as well. So that was fun. It was a really, uh, it was just a nice relaxing time that I think sometimes when you're in ministry, you desperately need yeah. and rarely ever do. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's, it's been a great, um, a great conference and we're going to do it again in October. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Okay. Well, to get us started, I love to ask my guest a little bit about their faith journey. So tell me a little bit about how you came to know Jesus um, whenever that was. Okay. So I love it when interviewers ask me that because I came to know Jesus personally at age three years old. A lot of people think, okay, little kids can't really know Jesus. Well, I knew Jesus. So I asked Jesus into my heart, as we say in a lot of evangelical circles, Mm -hmm. and Jesus really became my best friend. You know, I grew up in a culture of Christianity that said that God didn't speak except through the Bible, but Mm. I knew that wasn't true because Jesus talked to me all the time and I talked to him. Wow. I love that. I know. So, so I put my faith and trust in Jesus I remember the day I did it. It was life-changing for me, but I had a huge problem with God the Father. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of separated the two. I knew Jesus was God, but I really didn't want to know God the Father. I just wanted to kind of stick with Jesus, you know, as a little girl, because I was afraid of God the Father, you know, and so that comes out in this study. Yeah, well, and that's something 
that we'll talk about a little bit because your six-week study, Our Father, dives into the Lord's Prayer. And you start out that study, well, I shouldn't say you started out, but because Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, is the first portion, you talk a little bit about why you struggled with that and your own father wounds. And so share a little bit of that with us and kind of how you sorted through that. I know it is a oftentimes lifelong journey when you have parental wounds, mm-hmm. um, but praise God, he he takes us on a journey throughout a lifetime, right? Yeah, he really does. And I, I want to say before I share my story, which I will do, that so many of your listeners likely had father wounds. Mm-hmm. Because as I travel and speak, I hear about the father wounds over and over again. And those have a direct impact on how we view God the Father. Yeah. You know, So in my own life, my father was in ministry. He was fairly well known in ministry. And yet he was emotionally abusive, spiritually abusive, physically and sexually abusive. So while from the outside, our home looked perfect, Mm. inside it was chaotic and it was a mess. And yet I was raised not to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ. I was raised to protect my father's image at any and all costs, which posed a huge problem for me. You know, so when I would hear about God the Father, I felt fear. I wasn't sure I wanted to know God the Father. I knew I loved Jesus because Mm -hmm. Jesus would meet me all the time. And I talked to Jesus continually throughout my little girl life, but I just had this huge problem with God, the father. And so, and I really didn't deal with it until into my adult years, because you kind of, when you're raised to protect the image, you do that, right? So you grow up protecting this image at any and all costs. You say the right things. It's it's like we were programmed to say certain things. And so I did, you know. Well, and sometimes don't you think it's also for your own self-preservation because you live there? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you, totally. you kind of don't have a big choice unless something happens where someone else finds out about it. And sometimes even then. Right. And so, you know, I grew up, I married my husband, we went into ministry together. And I had these like, phantom memories of things happening to me, but I never dealt with it. You know, I just ran harder. I pushed harder. You know, I was speaking around the United States on the love of God. But I really didn't feel it in my heart. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew all the right, quote unquote, theology. Mm -hmm. But It wasn't, there was a head heart connection and it wasn't until actually I went through cancer that God began to invite me. He was like, you know what? I'm going to heal you physically, but I'm also going to heal you emotionally and spiritually. And that meant for me doing significant counseling with a godly therapist, which was a big sell for me because I was a pastor's wife. My husband was very successful in ministry, still is. And That meant, you know, at first I was like, do I want to go to for counseling? I don't know that I do Mm -hmm. because everybody knows who we are. And there's a shame, quote unquote, associated with it. Praise God, not as much now. I think that's slowly coming away. But yeah, continue. Sorry. Oh, no, don't be sorry at all. So I went out of state for counseling. It was the best 
choice for me. Mm -hmm. And it was the best choice of my life mm -hmm. because there in that godly counselor's office, I was able to separate my earthly father from my heavenly father. Mm -hmm. And I was able to re-fall in love with Jesus, even though I had loved him all along because right. I realized that God the Father was not for all the abuse that I experienced. That's right. You know? Yeah. And so that's my story. Mm -hmm. And as we get into the Lord's Prayer, which is, you know, the book I've written, you know, it was profound to me. Um, I was at an event actually speaking on the National Day of Prayer, and I had all these community leaders stand at the end of my message and say the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. However, they don't always understand all the intimate implications that are tucked within. That's so true. I mean, even as an adult, as yeah, I grew up in a liturgical church. I shouldn't say I grew up in it. When we went to church, it was liturgical. Yeah. And I cherish that now. I'm glad that I can recite so many things, but it wasn't until I was quite a bit older before, you know, you, you just, part of that is the natural maturation process of a Christian, of a believer, right? You hopefully start digging in to different aspects of what you've been raised to believe. And yes. some of those you reject and some of those you keep. And right. um, the Lord's prayer is one of those things that it's just fueled so much love and connection with God. Yes. And so, and I know that that's obviously true for you as well, as I've worked through some of the study, but tell me this, do you have any stories about how the Lord's prayer has been impactful to you at any season of your life? I think as a kid, I learned it and it mm -hmm. didn't mean much to me. Mm -hmm. And at that prayer breakfast, it was just like this aha moment, kind of like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And I need to, yeah. and I felt like the Lord spoke to me, this is your next study. So as I dove into this, I'm like, oh Lord, help me to communicate this clearly because wow. you want people to know how deep your love is as our father. And that shapes everything for us. I, I think of my friend, Annabelle, I start the study with one with her story. And I'm going to be with Annabelle, I think in a week and a half or two weeks, whatever. She lives in Uganda, but she's going to be here. But, you know, she was raised by a Muslim father who decided that she was going to get married at 13. And he had done the whole arrangement. Now, Amber, you have a 13-year-old. Can you imagine mm -hmm. marrying off your 13-year-old child? No. Well, Annabelle was terrified, so she ran away from home, lived on the streets of Kampala for a while. And it wasn't until he met a woman who introduced her to our father, mm -hmm. who who loved her. And she could see the difference between our heavenly father and her earthly father, who wanted to sell her basically into a marriage you know, and, and it was huge for her. And, and her story is not uncommon, even though we think, okay, here in the States, maybe we don't sell our children to be married at 13. Their father wounds impact them in a million different ways. I talked mm -hmm. with a gentleman who's a pastor several weeks ago, and he said, Becky, we don't know how to be fathers because we grew up in broken homes. We didn't have men who modeled for us what it looks like to be fathers. But when you get to know our father, that all changes. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. 
You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Why do you think that that um, the Lord's Prayer is started out that way? Our Father who art in heaven. You know, Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. And I just love that because if you want to know what God the Father is like, look to Jesus, right? Because that's the whole reason he came. And I think Jesus understood, hey, earthly fathers are messed up. In fact, in one passage, he says, you know, if your earthly father, what child, if If he asks for a loaf of bread, will your earthly father give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will give him a A snake? snake. Well, if the stone represents emotional coldness and Mm. the snake represents abuse, you know, Jesus had a deep understanding for the type of father wounds we were going to experience from our earthly fathers. They're not all bad. Some of them did the best they could. Some of them loved the best they could. Some of them gave us the stone and the snake. And yet Jesus knew that. And he's like, you got to learn to pray to our father. Our father is good. He's holy. He's loving. He's kind. His every intention towards you is good. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I also speak at times here to sometimes people, even with mother wounds, oh yeah, um, they can cling to our father in a way, not that God can't meet the needs, but it's almost like an unhealthy uh, codependency, which is an interesting thing because we are dependent upon God. But I know a lie I believe for a long time that I've just recently identified is Like, God, I can lose your love. If I do something wrong, I can lose your love. And that actually came more from a mother wound. And so sometimes I think we can even put that on God because it's this overarching person who's supposed to care deeply for us. Yes. And the thing about our father, what's interesting, Amber, is if you read through the Old Testament, um, oftentimes it talks about God's loving kindness. Mm -hmm. And in the Hebrew, that word loving kindness is the word hesed, right? And it means never ending loving kindness, Mm -hmm. but it also implies secure attachment. In other words, we are bonded to God, the father's love, even if we let go of it, he doesn't let go of us. Mm. Right. And so there's that secure attachment. And from that secure attachment, we then can go on and love others, which is what God calls us to. Amen. That's so, so good. Well, something else in um, the Lord's prayer, the next portion 
And what I love about it is it's so great to keep in mind that, you know, it's Jesus that's teaching us this. It's Jesus standing before his disciples and a whole crowd educating the people on how to pray. And he speaks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven throughout the gospels. And so when he instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we asking when we actually pray that portion of the prayer? Or what do you think? You know, it's so interesting because we as human beings like to build our kingdom. We like our will to be done, right? (laughs) So we're in prayer and prayer is a conversation with God, but it's where the Holy Spirit begins to shift us into Mm -hmm. alignment with God's will in our lives. And, and, you know, sometimes as human beings, that's hard, but so Jesus is inviting us surrender to my will. You may not always understand. You may not always agree, but when you surrender, you ultimately learn that my ways are not your ways, that my thoughts are not your thoughts. And that while my ways are higher, they're always consistently better. And mm. so we surrender to the Lord through that. And that's a that's a key point in the Lord's prayer, because I think a lot of people, you know, they come to Jesus for salvation. They think, OK, I I have prayed the sinner's prayer. I've got my ticket into heaven. You know, I'm good and I don't have to worry about anything. Well, our life with Christ is a life of continual surrender. Your will, not my will, Lord. Your ways, not my ways. Your kingdom, not my kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so it's really an invitation to surrender. Yeah, well, and I'm curious about your thoughts on God's kingdom here on earth. Because for me, I've my thoughts on that have changed quite drastically over the years. And um, I remember sitting in a Bible study discussing something. And I said, yeah, but that's like a little portion of God's kingdom, his heavenly kingdom on earth. And I was talking about just witnessing little tiny bits of goodness in Mm -hmm. life, life life-giving situations. And someone looked and said, well, that'll never happen. And I said, but that's interesting because Jesus asked us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So when you think about the kingdom of heaven, would you say that's way out there, like after we die? Or would you say it's now? Is it both? How do you translate that or talk about it? Yeah. So I have gone through an interesting journey with his kingdom as well. Right. So I was raised to to understand and people are raised in all different ways about the kingdom, but I was raised that the kingdom doesn't come until, you know, after we're gone. It's in the future. It's when Jesus reigns literally on earth. However, if you read through the gospels, Jesus talks about his kingdom a lot. He says his kingdom is here and now. In fact, one of my favorite stories is where he talks about the kingdom being like a mustard seed. Mm -hmm. And, And what's interesting about that is it was illegal in Jewish culture to plant a mustard seed in your garden because it took over the whole garden. It was like the most obnoxious plant. So Jesus is using a sense of humor and he's saying, look, my kingdom (laughs) is 
like the mustard seed, you know, and people are shocked that he said that. But his point was that the kingdom is now and it's then. The kingdom is really wherever the king is. So if the king is reigning in your heart, the kingdom is somewhat now, but it will be ultimately fulfilled then when Jesus reigns on earth forever mm -hmm. and ever. And so I I have that understanding of both. Yes, right. it's now and it's also then. In future, it will be fully fulfilled. Mm -hmm. But Jesus invites us to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come today to my heart, to my family, to my job, to my neighborhood, and your will be done in my life mm -hmm. because you're the king and I'm not. Yeah, I love that because James Brian Smith, when I had him on the show, something that he said that really profoundly impacted me was he just the conversation about we can't be patient on our own, but in the kingdom of God, we can proceed with patience. We can't do this on our own, but in yeah. the kingdom of God. And, you know, even just the slowing down in that mindset, like, okay, wait, the kingdom is in me because the spirit is in me. And that's what empowers us to act out of the spirit, not out of our flesh, right? Yes. And it's just this whole idea of a life of continual surrender. Like mm -hmm. we need to be doing that daily, moment by moment, right? No matter how deep we grow in our faith, we're probably not being as patient as we could be. We're probably sure. <laughs> not being as loving as we would like to be. And so we continually come before Jesus and say, your kingdom come your will be done, your peace reign in my life, your love flow out of my life, your joy come and enter my life, you know, mm. your, your fulfillment, your will help me to live according to your will in my neighborhood, in my kids' school, and, you know, in my job, wherever I am. Yeah, yeah. My whole life invitation. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, it's great as the Lord's prayer goes on, because then we start talking about forgiveness. Oh, and yeah. I think that's the thing about um, sometimes we can feel so guilty when we fall short, but it's like, no, confess and move on, right? Like, don't live under this umbrella of guilt and shame, but instead just confess your shortcoming. And then the next day again, or the next moment, um, yes. again, your kingdom come, your will be done now, because I, I screwed it up a few minutes ago. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I love that. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about, you know, forgive us our debt as you for wait, am I saying that backwards? Forgive us our debts or our trespasses as, as we, we for forgive those who trespass against us. And that's the tricky part about that invitation. Amen. <laughs> Because we want the forgiveness of Jesus, but Jesus is saying, no, pray, forgive me, Lord, as I forgive others. And then it's like, wait, 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 wait. Does that mean I'm not going to get forgiveness from God if I don't forgive others? You know, mm. and how does that play out? You know, wow. and I think we don't experience the depth of Christ's forgiveness unless we're living that out towards others. And Jesus says some pretty hard things about forgiveness. In fact, he says, if you don't forgive other people, your heavenly father won't forgive you. And we rationalize that as best we can, right? And we try to make it fit our particular brand of theology. However, Jesus takes forgiving others very seriously. Mm -hmm. And he wants us to allow him to forgive others 
through us. And learning and choosing to forgive other people sometimes is a process for people, but you've, you want to get, you want to begin that journey. Yeah. And in fact, I talk about that in the book. And let me clarify by saying, you know, my father has passed away. I can write on these issues mm-hmm. pretty freely, but I remember the journey to forgive him. And it, it wasn't easy. It's long. You know, it's long. And the person who challenged me to forgive had an interesting comment because he challenged me to forgive. And I said, well, I think I already have. You know, I was mm-hmm. kind of raised that you just kind of say, oh, that's okay, you know, and move on. Well, when you think about it, Jesus hanging from the cross, he never said to everybody, oh, that's okay, guys. You know, yeah. He said, "For I forgive you and father forgive them. They know not what they do, but he never said that's okay. And, mm-hmm. and so this Christian leader said to me, I don't think you have. And I said, well, how do you know that? You know? And he said, because I see fear in you. Oh, and I wow. didn't realize how deeply linked fear is to unforgiveness, mm. right? Because when you don't forgive somebody, they still hold all that power over you. And when you forgive them, you're able to move on free. And mm. that's why Jesus comes on so hard on this topic, because he wants us to live free. He doesn't want you to live in bondage to the person who hurt you last week. Right. He doesn't want you to live in bondage to fear and to trying to hide your shame. He wants you to live free and abundantly mm. in him. And that means we have to continually forgive. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's something too. I, I think that he's so hard on it because you live in like a hell on earth when you, yep. when the bitterness builds up. And I mean, that's not godly living, right? I mean, that's hell on earth Yeah, <laughs> because it is. there's this, and I've seen it. And if you've ever, and, and you probably have too, if you've ever seen a person that has clung to unforgiveness and lived a life of bitterness, it's pretty eye-opening. They're not very joyful. No, and it also can really affect our physical health. I remember probably like 15 years ago, I was speaking at a church on forgiveness and and all of a sudden a woman started sobbing. Mm. She ran out of the room. She ended up vomiting outside. Oh, wow. She ended up praying. People prayed over her. And in that moment, she was healed of back pain that she had had for like 25 years. And she realized the unforgiveness was literally making her sick, you Mm. know, and it it does that to us because it holds us in chains. If you're living your whole life with a bitter spirit, thinking about how can I get even, how can I pay this? person back. You're not living in the fullness that Jesus wants you to live in. You know, a question that I like to ask people when they say, well, I'm really struggling to forgive this person. I like to ask them, how is it helping you Mm -hmm. to hold on to that? Mm -hmm. What's it doing for you? And most of the time when they think about that question, they say, you know, it's really not helping me. You know, that's why from Satan, we think if we let go, that person walks away scot-free. No, If you let go, you walk away free because forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. That's right. Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. However, he was only reconciled to those who came in repentance. Mm. And so I think that's an important distinction for your listeners to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, and going back to the whole body too, you know, I think about how there's the book out there, which I agree with the body keeps the score because mm-hmm. trauma does that to us or yes. unforgiven sin, but it's almost like just everyday science is catching up to God's science yes. already because yes. God already has said, this is part of the reason why yes. um, that we do need to forgive is because it's more for our own freedom than it is for the other person. Yeah. And sometimes it's not like an, I mean, a lot with small offenses. Yes. It might be easier. Right. But with these long offenses, I want you listeners to hear me say, you know, it just because that Christian leader challenged me on that, I began that process, but I've had to go back to it, you know, as feelings rise, feelings are wonky things, right. Mm -hmm. And to be listened to there to alert us to what's going on in our soul. And so I've had to go back many times and say, Lord, I forgive him. I bless him in Jesus name. I, I forgive him, you know, and because he was broken, just like I'm broken. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I could go on and on about that because um, I know about the journey and I'm on that journey. And when someone is still alive in your life, and you continue to get um, offended or um, sinned against, Yeah, you do choose again yep. to forgive. And then you have to choose again. Yep. And sometimes you don't. And sometimes you realize, okay, God has forgiven me for all of this. I can forgive that person. Um, yeah. And sometimes I, you know, my mother has since passed too. And in some ways she was harder for me to forgive, you know, because I wanted her love so bad. I wanted her protection and I didn't get that, you know? So, but there were days where I would think, Lord, she's driving me batty. Mm. And it humanly, I cannot forgive right now, Mm. but I have your spirit. So could you just soften my heart towards her? And the Holy spirit is listens to those prayers And he's willing to do that in our lives. Mm, That's powerful. Yeah. That's why this prayer really is. If you sit with it and don't hurry your way through it or just pray little portions of it at various times, um, it's very, very transformative. Um, Let's talk a little bit about daily bread. (laughs) Okay. I think for modern uh, Christians, it can be so hard to understand why Jesus is praying for his daily bread or telling us we should be praying for our daily bread. What's the significance there for us today? Oh, I titled this the invitation to ask audaciously. And I, you know, your daily bread might not be food or coffee. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. I think my daily bread is coffee. You know, I just need that. (laughs) If you go without it, you certainly feel like it. (laughs) Right. Right. Lord, I need my coffee. Anyway, but, um, you know, maybe your daily bread today is a loving heart towards the Mm -hmm. child that's driving you bonkers. Or maybe your daily bread today is the financial resources to make the house payment or to make your rent payment. You know, daily bread can be a lot of different things. But, you know, for me, Amber, a lot of times when I was growing up, I didn't want to be annoying to God. Right. I would think, okay, I'm going to ask him this once and then you know, I don't want to be annoying. So I'm not going to go back. And Jesus is saying, ask 
ask audaciously, ask for your daily bread, ask persistently. You know, I, I use the story in the book of our daughter. Um, she was a persistent little thing. And um, I got one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, we went on a family vacation to Disney World and it was the last day of vacation. So all the kids picked out a souvenir and we were going to leave the following morning, I think at like 6 a.m. to start the drive back home. And um, our littlest one, who was three at the time, picked or four, picked out this baby Minnie Mouse that she loved. And our six-year-old said, no, I don't need that. I'm too big for that, you know, blah, 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 blah. So that was all fine and well and good. We ended up tucking her into bed that night and she just lost it. She started sobbing. I really wanted the Minnie Mouse. I want the Minnie, Minnie Mouse. Oh, you know, no. <laughs> not letting up. And those of you that are parents, you yes. know what it's like when your kid just loses it, you know? Especially and, at nighttime. <laughs> yep. Yep. She was tired and she was losing it. And somehow we got her to sleep. And my husband, it was like 10 o'clock at night in Orlando, he grabs his car keys and I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to the Disney store. And he went Aww. to three Disney stores that night, came back at 11 o'clock at night, triumphantly with a baby Minnie Mouse. Now, oh, wow. parenting experts might tell us we should have handled that differently. I don't care what they say because she's an adult now and she will never forget that moment. Oh. And just a few weeks ago, she's like, I remembered the Minnie Mouse moment, you know, and <laughs> a true picture of her heavenly father's love. And, you know, sometimes as believers, as children of our father, we're going to ask ridiculous things, but God doesn't get annoyed with that. And he invites our persistence, you know, you know, maybe you're praying for your child that's a prodigal and you think God must be tired of hearing this prayer. No, he wants you to be persistent, you know, or maybe he, he, you think he's tired of me always praying to him about my marriage. No, he's not. He wants you to have a good marriage. So keep bringing it to him. Be persistent and ask him for audacious things because he's a big God. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get everything you right. heart's desire. It's not like, Lord, I really want a Tesla, you know. And yeah, it's not a vending machine type of prayer. Right. I mean, nothing against Teslas and maybe no. God will give you one. But <laughs> I mean, that's not the point of this prayer. But God delights in hearing our voice. He mm. doesn't get annoyed with our persistence. And he doesn't get annoyed when we ask him for the big things like healing the child who's really struggling or, you know, repairing that broken relationship. He wants you to ask for those things. Well, and do you have any encouragement for the one who is praying persistently and audaciously and they're becoming discouraged because God isn't answering that prayer. Now, I know that's kind of a tough topic to address, but I say that be, and I'm not, not the ones who are praying for the Tesla, right? Or, yeah. you know, the number of listens on their podcast or whatever. Um, yeah. But, you know, for the marriage, for the addicted child, and you're just, you grow weary. Sure. What I would say to them is God is listening. Mm -hmm. It may seem to you like he's not working, but God's timetable is different than ours. 
he sees the end from the beginning. That's you know, right. I remember hearing about my husband's great grandmother and she had seven boys. Can you imagine? Um, one of my daughter has five boys and someday she doesn't know if she's going to survive, but mm. that, this woman, I only have two boys and I don't know. <laughs> well, she had seven and I she prayed and prayed and prayed mm. that one of her sons would follow Jesus wholeheartedly and go into ministry. And she didn't see that until well into their adult life. But yeah. then that son, who was my husband's grandfather, went to Africa and led thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Mm. You know, some of your prayers God is answering them. You might not even live to see the results, right? But I always remind myself, okay, I am praying for my 14 grandchildren right now. I may not live to see all the results of those prayers because my lifetime will end, but God is still going to be answering those prayers after I'm gone. Yeah. Because in Revelation, it says that the prayers of the saints go up as incense before him. And I just love that, you know. So we have to remember that Jesus' timetable is different than ours. Mm -hmm. He holds eternity in his hands. Yeah. And so he, he loves that you're being persistent, even though you feel like, okay, God, I'm not seeing the results. You might not see results for years. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean God's not working. He's mm -hmm. setting the stage for things, maybe, or he's putting people in that person's path that are going to lead them to Christ or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, I know. And I try to remember or for myself and encourage others too. when you feel that way, just be honest with God. Yeah. God, God I'm really weary. I really feel like you're not doing anything. And I mean, he wants that too, right? Oh, no, he does. Right. I'm glad you said that because, you know, I I always think of toddlers, you know, maybe because we have some toddler grandchildren right now. And, you know, <laughs> toddlers throw fits, right? And, you know, I always think, you know, sometimes I look at that fit and I think, you know, that's pretty brilliant. I need to just throw a big old fit in the throne room, you know, <laughs> And the great thing with God is he just holds us, yeah. you know, like a loving parent. He's our father. And he's like, just bring the whole mess of your emotions to me. Yes. You know? And he knows anyway. So we may as well tell him. Right. Right. So yes. if you are doubting, tell him. If you're fearful, tell him. If you're angry, tell him. You know, we think, oh, can we tell God we're angry? Well, the psalmist sure did. Right. And yes. he lamented. So God just wants that authentic relationship with us like a loving father. You know, last night we had a party for, we have identical twin grandsons who are three. And Aww. they just turned three yesterday. So we had a big old party. And one of my sons was talking about how his son the night before had been up too late and just lost it mm -hmm. and um my son was carrying him upstairs to bed and my grandson was just wailing no no you know I want to teach each other the whole thing but you know I, he was JJ my son was just like I'm just carrying him up to bed yep. and you know, I just finally laid down with him and he went to sleep you know yep. but I think our heavenly father is that loving father. You know, sometimes when we're flailing and letting it all out and saying, bye, you know, he just holds us like a loving father and calms us. That's right. Oh yeah. And all the emotions when we're sad, 
disappointed, whatever it is. That's what I, the middle school girls that, um, I work with, like even just last night, as I was talking to them about what lamentations mean, we were working through emotions and how emotions are not bad, but we can't let emotions dictate our lives and our choices all the time. But sometimes they lead to good choices. And we're talking through that, but even the, to watch their eyes open up when they begin to understand, listen, sadness and grief, like those are not emotions that God is opposed to. It's amazing how people can think that. <laughs> I know. I grew up in that system, you know, where, yeah. you know, those emotions were wrong. But then you look at Jesus, he got angry in the temple and he flipped a few tables. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. And and if you look at the Greek there, it's not like he just shed a single tear. No, he it was full on wept. And he knew he was going to raise Lazarus in a matter of moments. But right. he felt the pain of the people around him. And he, he felt mm. all the emotions like we have. You know, yes. you can't tell me that Jesus didn't feel anxious in the garden as he's kneeling there and thinking about the cross. He cries out, Father, if there's another way, let's go with a different plan here, you know? (laughs) So like he felt every emotion that we have felt. That's right. And yet without sin. And Mm. that's the beautiful thing. So we have a God who's an emotional God and and he's created us in his image. Yes. So we're going to have those emotions. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's talk about as we begin to close up here, Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I know a question that um, you get asked is, does God tempt us? But let's just talk about that whole portion of the prayer. Why is it important to speak that to God? God does allow us to be tempted. He is not the tempter. However, he does lead us into situations where we will be tempted because there we have the opportunity for our faith to grow and for our resilience to grow, you know? And so like the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. So God does lead us at times into places where we will be tempted. But then Jesus says, but deliver us from evil. Help us to be strong in those moments that we're tempted. One of the things that I suggest in the book is, I I think a lot of times as believers, if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, we're not as self-aware as we could be. You know, we just think, okay, I've been saved. I don't struggle with sin anymore. You know, I haven't robbed a bank this week or something like that, you know, but there's a million other ways we could sin, right? So uh, one of the things I suggest in the book is doing a genogram. This is a hugely powerful exercise. So a genogram just kind of draws out your family tree, go back as far as you can. It might be to your grandparents. It might be to your great grandparents. And then just sit with the Lord. Think about the stories you've heard. Have there been um, unwanted pregnancies? Have there been abortions? Have there been Alcoholism in your family. Alcoholism is huge. Divorces. Drug addiction. Has there been any witchcraft? But you need to know that not Mm -hmm. because you're going to dwell on that, but you need to know how that could play out in your life. And if you don't look at that, you won't know. And so, you know, because alcoholism is in my family, I am hugely careful 
you know? And so that's a choice I make, not out of legalism. That's a choice I make because I don't want to go down that path, Mm -hmm. right? So, so we have to be wise as we bring our genogram before the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom to the places where I could easily fall into sin, protect me, deliver me from evil. The idea that there's generational bondage, like you said, it's not necessarily that you're going to go down that path, but I do think exposing that is just one other way of saying, okay, God, I, I realize this. I realize this is an area of weakness Or it could also help in your forgiveness of some of those people who have hurt you in the past. That's what I found when I did my geneogram. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, Jesus or or in the Old Testament, it says that the sins of the fathers will be visited on the children, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we're punished for sins we didn't Mm -hmm. commit. However, the sins of our fathers have an impact on us. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus invites us to take a look at that, you know, Mm -hmm. and so that's where the genogram can really come into play. Like even simple things like lying. I always go back to the story of Abraham, you know, Abraham lied about Sarah to protect his own well-being. And then years later, Isaac does the very same Mm -hmm. thing. Where did he learn that? He learned it from dear old dad who taught him that lying was okay. And and so we look at these patterns and how they're going to play out in our lives. And then Mm -hmm. we take our life before the Holy Spirit and we echo the prayer of David where he says, search me, O God, and know me and show me the places where I have weaknesses, you know, Mm. and heal those places in me because I don't want to repeat these patterns. Oh, I love that. So, so love that. Well, let's close with this. Um, It's very easy for the Lord's prayer to become vain repetition. And Jesus talks about that when he's teaching them to pray. And it it is funny to think or interesting to think that right after he says, don't be like the Pharisees and the vain repetition, you know, before all the people. But then he goes into this Lord's prayer that we have almost at times made vain repetition. What are some ways that we can prevent that from happening, from just being something else that rolls off our tongue that's meaningless. For me, I I am right now in a season where I am trying to pray the Lord's Prayer every day because it reorders the pattern of my life. And so for me, I and I realize not everyone's physically able to do this, but if you are, I recommend get down on your knees and pray the Lord's Prayer with the attitude, Lord, this prayer reorders my life. Mm. It shows me where the priorities are. It shows me the invitations you're inviting me to. So that's one way to keep it from being vain repetition. Um, Another way to keep it from being vain repetition is to slow down as you pray it, you know, be present. So, you know, when you're praying our father, stop and consider who is this father? And what's the implication that he's our father? What does that tell you about community and belonging? Right. You know, and and to just be really present with the prayer. Um, I I think there's value in memorizing it. Yeah, and I do too. Though some people might say, well, that's vain repetition. It's mm. extraordinary all the stories wrapped up in 9-11 where people went back to the Lord's prayer because they couldn't think of what else to pray and God met them there, you know? And so even if it's repetition and you're mindless 
I think God can still speak to you in that, you know, yeah. but I would say, get down on your knees, pray it as an offering, mm. um, remind yourself, slow down as you pray it, think about what you're praying, ask the Lord to help you to be fully present as you pray. Yeah. And I mean, I know when I say like, hallowed be your name, I go into praising God for his character. Yes. Or forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. I talk about what some of those sins are. So it's a time of confession. And sometimes you don't have the time to do all of that. But I agree with you. I mean, we know with brain science now that we have neuropathways and what we memorize is what's going to come out in these neuropathways. It's got, what's going to come out of our heart and it's what's going to come out of our mouth. So we want to memorize right. good, holy, biblical things. And so I do think sometimes, you know, what Jesus was talking about there is just more, we know that the Pharisees had major heart issues, right? So right. that's and what you're trying, trying to be careful of. Yeah. And they were trying to impress others. Yeah. But if you're home alone That's and you're right. on the floor <laughs> praying this prayer, you're not doing it to try to impress people. That's and right. So the, the Pharisees were doing everything as a big show. So that's a little different than yeah. praying this in genuineness before the Lord. Yes, absolutely. Well, Becky, thank you so much. Um, the study is our father. It is a six week study. I think people can get it anywhere, but what is your website? My website is beckyharling.com. And right now I have a free gift up uh, about prayers to calm your anxious heart because anxiety is at an all time high. And if you get that free downloadable, then you'll start getting my devotional on Monday mornings. I write a fresh devotional every Monday morning. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. Hey, it's been so much fun to be with you, Amber. Thanks for having me. Wasn't that conversation insightful? That's what I love about the Word of God. In this case, the Lord's Prayer. There is always more treasure to discover that helps us engage with God. If you enjoyed our conversation, don't forget to share it with a friend or on social media. Sharing is the way most of us discover podcasts we enjoy. So I deeply appreciate every listen and every share. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.